Spot On is sponsored by the Wellbeing Project here at Boston University. This project is a new campus-wide initiative to support students' health and wellness during their time at the university. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about the Wellbeing Project. You know, there's an old saying that, you know, time flies when you're having fun. And let me tell you, I cannot believe that this is the end of the second season of spot on. I mean, where has it, where has the time gone? You know why? Because it's been so much gosh darn fun and great information that we've uh, put out here. So what we did the first season is we did a summary episode where we just kind of summarized each of the episodes in the first season. And we're going to do it again for the second season. And I'll tell you something, I can't wait to do it for the third, but let's stay with the second right now. So with that, Let's listen to a little bit of what was occurred during the second season of Spot On. You are listening to Spot On, a health and wellness podcast that breaks through the latest media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji-Blake, a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition and You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. So we opened up the, the second season of Spot On with a gangbuster here. And this, this first episode of season two was all about what Instagram is really doing to your brain. And wow, this was an eye-opening episode with my dear colleague, uh, Marcy Evans. And she brought to the forefront the fascinating effects of Instagram on your brain. I never, I haven't ever thought about this. And so according to Marcy, if you're continually on Instagram and comparing yourself to the photos and the lifestyles of those you follow, this can result in neurological changes in your brain and emotional well-being. Like, wow, I never even thought about that. And on this episode, she enlightens us on something called the social comparison theory, which is based on groundbreaking research and very important to heavy users of Instagram. And my hand is raised on that one. So Please listen to this fascinating little clip of it, and I hope you'll be motivated to listen to the whole episode because, boy, this is unbelievable. What we're bumping up against now in, you know, the 2000s is this evolution of social media in which the opportunity for constant comparison, seeing what a person is up to and posting about it, what outfits they choose, what meal did they eat, you know, what club did they visit? We are inundated with information. It was 60 years of research where they looked at 145 studies to say, you know, what can we learn about the social comparison theory? And they asked two main questions, the researchers did. Who do we compare ourselves to? And what is the impact mm. of those comparisons? Research does demonstrate that some people are more vulnerable to the impact of social comparison to than other people are. Over the years, we have been focusing on the research on how a healthy, nutritious diet affects the inside of your body by, you know, helping you live longer and fight diseases such as heart disease and diabetes and stroke. But what's been missing you know, in coming to surface in this research is how the diet can impact skin care 
that it's really been lost over the years because we've been looking at longevity, but not on this episode. This episode focuses on how diet and skin health actually brings together the two. How your diet early in life can not only help you live longer, but help your skin look younger as you age. And I brought on this world-class dermatologist to tell us that diet may be the new Botox. Let's listen. This message was lost for a long time. And I think it was partly because there was so much data with heart disease, diabetes, and metabolic syndrome, and all of these illnesses that we now know, a lot of which are induced by our unfortunately horrible Western diet, which is loaded with fats and sugars and everything that we should not be eating. And I think that we didn't appreciate what a toll this was really taking on our skin health and our skin beauty, for that matter. Most of what people think is aging is actually photo aging or environmental aging, because intrinsically aged skin actually doesn't look nearly as dramatically aged as that skin that's been exposed to the environment. The better you eat, the healthier you are. Those nutrients get absorbed in the gastrointestinal tract. They go to all the organs, but many of them get deposited into the skin. In dermatology, we like an outside-in approach, so the cream's turning things on, but we like the inside-out approach to complement that. The newest rage in the kitchen now is meal prepping. And, you know, meal prepping in advance can save you so much time and money and unnecessary stress. So I asked my dear registered dietitian, nutritionist, friend, and award-winning cookbook author, Toby Amador from New York City, to share her secrets to ridiculously easy meal preparing that will change your life and improve your diet and your health and reduce your stress. And let me tell you... I have actually calmed down using some of her tips. So let's listen. Just being able to shave off half hour, 45 minutes of making dinner, let's say that's for a family, but for yourself, you can actually also shave off time if you make some stuff in advance. And if you enroll like a roommate to do it together with you, you can actually shave off a little more time there. Um, But that's really what it's all about. It's about saving time, but still being able to exercise and still being able to cook healthy and eat healthy. It's really important for meal prepping. Planning is essential. You need to schedule. First of all, you have to pick your recipes, so you need to find time to do that. You need to make your shopping list. You have to schedule to buy it, and then, of course, schedule to cook it and divvy it up, because if you don't divide it, you actually might eat too much of a portion one day, leaving yourself with not enough food the next day. So everything really is down to a science in terms of planning. You know, so many times I, I, I talk to students and they often say to me, you know, I so miss my pets. I wish my dog and my cat was here, you know, even more than I miss my parents, believe it or not. So I totally love this episode about pets and the effect that they can have in your life and well-being. And this episode gives you the science behind why therapy animals are so well therapeutic to your life. And trust me, after listening to this episode, you are going to want to have a therapy animal in your life on a regular basis. And uh, let's find out why. Studies have shown that um, therapy animals lower heart rate, they lower blood pressure, um, they uh, decrease cortisol, which is one of the hormones associated with stress states. Uh, they increase oxytocin, wow. which is a, a hormone um, involved in bonding, um, dopamine, which is a pleasure hormone, endorphins. Um, so there are real actual physical effects um, associated with 
animals. They distract the patient or the person from the stressful um, stimulus. Yes. They remind them of life outside of the dentist chairs, yes. outside of the hospital. Um, they, just like with the kids, they're reminded of the students here at BU, they're reminded of their dogs back at home. It just kind of pulls them out of whatever stressor is in their life. Just see what your dog's temperament is like. Right. Make sure it's something your dog really likes. If your mm -hmm. dog is like my other dog, Ellie, and, and doesn't like to be cuddled or sure. doesn't like crowds, it might not be the best fit. But if you check off all those boxes, go for it. It is such, there's such a need and it's such a rewarding experience and it's nice for you, it's nice for the dog. What the heck is clean eating? We are hearing so much about this in the media that I invited uh, an expert in the field, Dr. Paula Quattrimoni, to come on to this episode of Spot On to talk about what cleaning eating really is. And what I found out is, well, it may not be so clean. If taken to the extreme, clean eating can morph into an unhealthy eating pattern called orthorexia. You have got to listen to this episode. It, it refers to eating foods in their most natural, whole, and purest form. So um, whole fruits and vegetables are a real foundation of this diet. Foods that have not been adulterated in, in any way in terms of food processing, foods that don't have sugar added to them, fats added to them, sodium, other preservatives, artificial colors, flavorings. So it's really getting towards um, Again, foods in as as they are grown and harvested, and you know, farm to table, garden to plate. That's really at the crux of clean eating. The approach to clean eating sets up this dichotomy of good food, bad food. Clean eating usually starts off very well intentioned in terms of promoting health and wellness. It's when it goes down a slippery slope and can become more of an obsessive disorder or a disordered eating pattern, and progress into a full blown eating disorder. But at its you know, most pure sense, it really is well-intentioned in terms of, you know, a plant-based diet and eating minimally processed foods. We actually have a term for that now. It's called orthorexia. Ooh, and ooh. it is a type of disordered eating um, where there is restriction of food intake, but as you said, around the quality and the purity of the food, not around quantity. So it makes it different from other types of eating disorders that listeners might be more familiar with. Basically, orthorexia is an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating. What you know about frozen foods is probably all wrong. From nutrition to taste, frozen meals, frozen fruits and vegetables have recently got a major makeover in the freezer aisle of your supermarket. They are now abundant and affordably delicious. This episode will have you using your freezer for more than just ice cubes and save you tons of time and money in the kitchen. People are busy. I mean, we, like, consumers are just so busy. They're great for people that are living alone or that are only eating for one because they're portioned, they're single, they're easy. But also for busy families like myself, it's yes. very, very convenient. And, they, and they're much, much um, healthier and more balanced than they were years ago. You can pull out what you want, cook it, and then put the rest back in the freezer and the next day, pull out some more if you want it. But it does save significantly on food waste. I think what people don't realize is that frozen especially like frozen fruits and vegetables, those are picked sometimes at, at their peak time and then they're frozen. Right. So all of those nutrients remain in that food. So sometimes they can even be 
slightly more nutritious than, than if you have fresh. Sodium has always been a big concern in frozen meals, and it is definitely being addressed um, by the companies that are making these, and, and it's great. I think the other thing is just options. I mean, there are so many different options nowadays. It's not just the frozen pizza or the family-sized lasagna. It's really about if you want organic, if you want uh, more um, produce or protein, whatever it is, there's different options for everybody. And it's, you know, it's just, it's great to see all the variety. Is bottled water really worth the money or is your tap water just as good, if not better? I talked to an investigative reporter at Consumer Reports who spent a year, a year, diving into this issue and uncovered many, many facts about the water you drink that are just unbelievably mind-boggling. Spoiler alert, I no longer drink bottled water. And the, and the industry, you know, promotes this, that it's, uh, that it's a product that's there in times of emergencies. Right. Um, the, it, there's also studies that have and, and research that has you know looked at consumer behavior and you know there's some who uh, who use their tap water for cooking and, and and the like but they use they drink bottled water because they like the taste of it as right. opposed to what comes out of their tap. The EPA gave us an estimate uh, from you know one of their analysis of how much they need to you know fix and upkeep the uh, water system. And over a 20 year 20 year period it works out to something like 24 billion dollars a year right. so we're, we're 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 spending more on bottled water than what the government says is needed to you know fix and repair and keep up um our water systems they're purifying uh tap water um you know treating it further and then uh bottling it um for sale yeah Milking almonds? Seriously? Remember when the only milk you drank was from a cow? Well, dairy milk needs to moo over, get it? On the supermarket shelf, as plant-based milks such as almond and oat milk beverages are crowding them out. In this episode, we'll discuss why this is happening and if plant-based milk beverages are really all what they are cracked up to be. Let's find out. But I, I do think that there is a general concern and awareness growing around the idea of being more environmentally conscious and kinder to our planet. But I also think that we have an obsession almost with weight loss and eating less and you know, what can I drink that is going to have some flavor but no calories and not going to wreck my diet? And so I think there's a little bit of that going on as well. You know, plant-based milks are trendy. Aside from the environmental, you know, wanting to be more uh, plant-forward in your diet, that's um, right. it's trendy and celebrities adopt it and it it definitely has a health halo to it. As an individual person, each person is going to be, you know, coming at it from a different perspective. Some people are going to come at it and say, I want the biggest bang for my buck. I want the most nutrition I can get for the lowest price. Mm -hmm. That's going to be cow's milk. Okay. They've done studies. They've looked and compared cow's milk to all these different plant-based milks. And uh, most of the plant-based milks are two to three times more expensive per cup than cow's milk. 
Couponing is all the rage now. You know, I always thought of myself as a master shopper when it came to never paying full price for any item that I buy. Well, that was until I met the crazy coupon lady who has created a multi-million dollar business teaching you how to coupon and save money when you shop. What I love about her is she does all the work for you, so all you have to do is download an app or two to save big bucks. Trust me, you can even save money at Starbucks. No, I'm not kidding. If you're a college student looking to save, I would start number one with choosing a drugstore and start couponing for those health and beauty items. Right, And you just need a couple of apps to do it now. You don't need the Sunday paper, and you can get access to those coupons. But on Tuesdays and Thursdays, the the price drops by, on Tuesdays, I believe it was 4.81% less and then like 4.8% on Tuesday. And Saturday was the worst day to shop. So that is interesting and that is cool data. You can buy gift cards at a discount consistently. Mm. So there are a myriad of online gift card retailers. Um, Raise.com is one I use, R-A-I-S-E. There's also one called giftcardgranny.com that kind of aggregates gift cards together. So... Sometimes you're buying someone else's Starbucks gift card that they got for Christmas and they didn't want it and so they went to sell it and you know it's a $25 gift card and they're selling it for 20 bucks. Okay, great. After listening to this episode, you are going to want to go out and hug your local farmer. You know, I'm on social media a lot, okay, maybe too much, and I have been hearing too many negative comments bashing farmers. And this this blows me away. You know, some folks think that farmers mistreat their animals and or crops or use pesticides and antibiotics just to increase their profits. And I spoke to an expert in this area, Leah McGrath, who has traveled the country visiting farms and farmers. She's going to set the record straight on how farming is really, really done, as well as what is this whole difference between organic and nutritionally grown foods. You are going to find this eye-opening. Why do people kind of vilify farming and even more specifically certain types of farming? You know, you heard that word, big ag is bad. Well, what makes it big? Farms now have this amazing technology to help them produce crops more efficiently, care for animals more safely for both workers and the animals. I think it's kind of one of those things that sometimes when you don't know or don't understand something, you tend to mistrust it, distrust it. The biggest difference between organic and non-organic is that organic farmers cannot use seeds that are from genetically engineered seeds. Some studies that come out and say organic uh, is better nutritionally. When you really look at the study, you find out that maybe they studied one particular kind of fruit or vegetable, and they might have found one antioxidant that was higher in that organic crop than in the conventionally grown or non-organic crop. To snack or not to snack, that is the question. Is snacking a healthy way to munch or can it sabotage a healthy diet? I spoke with the college nutritionist, that's her name, the college nutritionist, who gave us the pros and cons of snacking and her formula for snacks that can outsmart your stomach. Grab a snack and listen. Really become the social norm to snack very frequently. I mean, I talk to people all the time who snack 
every one to two hours. Wow. It's so frequent. And I think that part of the problem is that their meals are a lot of times our meals are not as substantial as Mm. they could be so that we do get hungry and maybe you know we are hungry and there's also a lot of other factors in place right we live in a society now where food is available around every corner right there's vending machines there's different cafes every meeting we go to there's food so food is just abundant every single place we go and then if you're not mindful about it it's really easy to eat all of these snacks you know especially when you're not hungry it's just become such a normal part of life that, you know, may or may not be healthy, right? So is definitely still out on that. It seems like, uh, you know, originally it was thought that more meals per day um, helped people's metabolism and helped keep their weight down. But more research is showing that that's actually not true. The biggest takeaway is to do what works for you, right. but have some trial and error in figuring out what actually works for you and not just snacking all the time because your friends are snacking all the time. Thrifting has become the trendiest way to shop. If you're a bargain hunter, shopping at thrift stores can save you tons of money. But there are other reasons to buy secondhand. Thrifting has become part of a huge sustainability movement to protect the environment. Just wait until you listen how much money you can save, and equally important, how you can save the environment by thrifting. So thrifting is when you buy secondhand clothing or other goods at discounted prices. And the benefits of this is that it helps reduce the amount of clothing that ends up in landfills every year because you're basically recycling clothing among people. And um, if you're into fashion, thrifting is a way better alternative than buying new clothes from a retail store, such as, you know, the popular ones like Forever 21 or H&M. These textiles, they also take a pretty long time to break down in landfills because most most clothing is made from non-biodegradable fabrics like polyester or spandex or nylon or rayon. Mm. And those may take around 20 up to 200 years to fully biodegrade. Circular fashion is when clothing is made with the intention to circulate through society for as long as possible and then return into the biosphere when it's no longer of use. I just want to say that fashion and sustainability do not have to be mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. You can definitely explore fashion while also helping the planet. And the first baby step, I guess, is reading articles and um, watching videos and really educating yourself. Thank you so much for being a spot-on listener and making Season 2 such a huge, huge success. We are on to season three. Please like us on the Spot On Facebook page and tell us what topics you'd like to listen to and learn more about in the next season. And oh, by the way, can you tell five of your friends about Spot On? Do I ask a lot of you? Again, we want to thank the Wellbeing Project here at Boston University for sponsoring Spot On and also for the support from the Boston University Sargent College Master of Nutrition Program. Uh, It's a fabulous program where you can really, really get a solid foundation in the field of nutrition.